0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball
1: Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! deep left field. This is way Welcome. away. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where
0: fantasy becomes reality.
1: Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
0: Happy Almost Thanksgiving, and welcome into fantasy baseball today on Wednesday, November 23rd. No Scott White, but I am Frank Stample. Joined by Christopher Welsh, aka The Welsh. I've never asked you this. Do you prefer Chris or Christopher or neither or The?
1: Uh, definitely, well, the is always appropriate. Uh, the, you know, my my legal name, of course, my God-given name. Uh, but Chris, definitely over Christopher. Christopher's when I'm in trouble. Chris is me. So, no Topher, no Christopher, just Chris. So, when I was
0: growing up, I was Frankie, and then, I guess, when I became an adult, I became Frank. That was, I don't know, I just kind of outgrew it at some point.
1: Yeah, but, like, are you, does it bother you when you hear Frankie? No, that's fine. Yeah. See, like, I'm not really bothered. Like you call me Christopher It'd be fine. I'm not going to get, it. but I, I I have had a couple friends who have taken that name thing and they've turned it the opposite direction where it's not only do they go from in the specific name of this person was uh, Dave. They were Dave the entire time growing up. And then sometime around the mid twenties, you know, like <laughs> they were educated and everything in college, they became David and you weren't allowed to call them Dave. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that the whole time. Like, I don't know. I think it's fun to mess around with the names. I'm not I'm not too stuck as someone titled the with any names, though. So I guess who am I to speak?
0: I, I would say it is a little weird now if someone consistently called me Frankie. Like if you do it out of the blue, whatever, or as like a nickname, that's fine. Yeah, I,
1: I dropped the Frankie stamps, the Frankie's yeah, st- I can't that, like, that's Frank fine. stamps. That doesn't work. So, I, yeah. <laughs>
0: It's like with Scott. I call him Scotty Dubs or or like Scotty. I'm pretty sure he's told me not to call him Scotty, but I just do it anyway because I, I don't know. I'm just like so used to it at this point. Anyway, today on the show, Loaded Show. Why? Because we are talking about shortstop prospects. There are so many of them and there are so many elite-level shortstop prospect. So we'll look at it from a dynasty perspective, and then, of course, the names to know for redraft leagues in 2023. And non-tender day was last Friday, and, of course, was headlined by Cody Bellinger, unfortunately for him. So we'll talk about that and a few other names that were non-tendered by their respective teams. But uh, speaking of tenders, you have to be a chicken tender guy, right, Welsh? Like, you you good with attendees or...?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, tenders are where it's at. No bone. Yeah, sure. Go with the tendies.
0: Yeah, just... Are you a condiment on the tenders kind of guy, or...?
1: I'm kind of a a condiment on anything type of guy. Like, I like ketchup probably more than the normal person, which would get me negative points in, you know, the Midwest... I like some mustard on there. Not a big, you want to know, if, uh, speaking of condiments, we uh, I do this goofy episode we do on our Twitch, our In This League Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash In This League, if anyone is ever going with it. And we have this thing we call the wheel, Frank. And we spin this wheel a couple times over, and there are not great things on there sometimes. There's... Uh, you know, fantasy related stuff, all these different things. And we landed on one last week where my friend Bogman was forced to eat a peanut butter and mustard sandwich. I don't know if you've ever had that. And it was his last spin. So the odds of me coming back on that same thing were, you know, exponentially not in, in anyone's favor that people wanted. And I did. And I was forced to eat a French fry with mayonnaise on it. And you want to talk about condiments. So uh, disgusting. And I think Mayo might be off the list forever. That was a long way to go around saying I do tend to like condiments uh, with whatever I'm eating. Plain food doesn't really work. But uh, Mayo is off the list for pretty much anything anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just completely out on mayo. I'm also out on mustard. I mean, I guess that shouldn't surprise anyone. Really? You know, picky eater, haven't seen any movies. Like, does this really surprise anybody at this point? So I'm good with the ketchup on the fries. If we're going chicken tenders. We're going with like ranch. Is it just
1: spicy mustard or is it all yellow mustard? Any mustard.
0: I like honey mustard, but like yellow Ooh, that's mustard. the one you don't want to like. Brown mustard. <laughs> mm. No, I'm out. I'm out. Anyway, let's talk about shortstop prospects. By the way, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, an absolutely loaded position here uh, up top. And I guess let's just start with, I've got your top
1: five. I got a few more here. To, you sent over a top 10, I guess. Just well, so you know, I to wanted to about. throw at you real quick. You talked about how deep it was. I sent you 10. And that didn't even crack inside my top 50. Or, I mean, we were inside. We didn't get outside of my top 50 overall prospects Jeez. with 10 shortstops. It's a much different situation that we're talking about in Dynasty or in Redraft, I suppose, than any of the other positions where it's like, you know, we're having these conversations about like, well, does this guy really qualify here in first base? And I'm giving you guys an extra name. Shortstop is just not that, which really shouldn't be any surprise to anybody.
0: All right, so let's jump in, and we'll start off with the top five here. You've got Jordan Lawler from the Diamondbacks, Jackson Churio of the Brewers, come back to him in a second, Anthony Volpe with the Yankees, Ellie De La Cruz with the Reds, and Ezekiel Tovar with the Rockies. Now, as we've done for many of these podcasts, we are projecting forward. We're trying to figure out where is a player going to wind up playing. I looked into Jackson Churio, and in the minor leagues, he has played 118 games in center field, six games at second,
1: Zero at shortstop, yet you have him on your shortstop hmm. list. Okay, that, that that's, you know what, that's actually something I hadn't fully paid attention to uh positional stuff on Jackson Trio this year. It's been so focused on the bat. And you know what, you are right. I even see the listing on the outfield. He was playing shortstop, so he had just such an interesting rise last year where when the minor league season started, Jackson Churio was a guy that was in extended spring training. I don't know if people know what that is. That's like everything's ended, nothing counts. It's essentially just guys hanging back, playing games in the same league for roughly two months. And then what they'll do is they'll then come in to when there used to be like short season ball, you know, and then they would have like the short seasons that would start up. And then these guys would get to move over. He started in extended spring training where that was positionally where he was going. But one thing that happened, and this isn't a shock to me, uh, the positional stuff. I I will tell you, that is hilarious. That is 100% something I had not paid one ounce of attention to was positionally where he was playing this year outside of the bat. But I saw Jackson Churio during instructs this year. And one of the things that stands out, which isn't a huge surprise to me, is his size. He grew pretty pretty big from even extended spring training going into the middle of the season, his body got bigger. So this will be something I actually have to change, which can add a name and we can gladly add a name because you have the rest of the list here. But this was his first position that he was set to go and where they had him running, I think, some of extended spring training. And then obviously the decision uh, seemed to change early on. And I hadn't, like I said, hadn't even noticed positionally he has been even changed on his uh, pipeline position page to outfield, so that looks like that'll be his spot, which is kind of odd to me because usually extreme bats like this, unless they really hate the defense, which obviously they do, they would press and keep a guy like this at that position as long as they possibly can. You're seeing it in the minors with many players. You saw it with O'Neill Cruz. They're going to keep him there as long as they can. Maybe Ellie De La Cruz is another one of those players that you could take a look at, but um, we can take Jackson Trey off there, but just to know if he were and he did Actually, qualify in some formats for you. That's where he would be. All
0: right. Well, I guess we'll use that as a little tease for Jackson Trio, and then we'll dive deeper on him in the outfield prospect uh, podcast. So just just a little teaser there on Jackson Trio. Let's start up top with Jordan Lawler, who was the sixth overall pick last season with your Arizona Diamondbacks. He had a huge mm-hmm. year in the minors: three hundred three batting average, four hundred one OBP, sixteen homers, thirty nine steals, a nine ten OPS. Did get 20 games in at A as a 20-year-old. And he was sent out to AFL where he got off to a nice start. And then he suffered a fractured left scapula. So he was shut down. Should be good to go by spring training. Hopefully everything is good there with Jordan Lawler. But, I mean, really incredible hit tool. Obviously a good eye. I mean, the on-base percentage really stands out. Up over a 400 OBP. He's got some pop. He's obviously really fast. Super athletic. I mean, I I think he's probably going to be ranked inside everyone's top five, maybe even top three coming into the year. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, should be. I'm a huge Jordan Lawler fan. You know, one of the cool things he was able to do as well was he was able to go in and push four levels of the minor leagues this year. He played a little bit of rookie ball, which was more in a rehab stint. I actually was at two of those games when he was out here in rookie ball. He played in a ball, which he put up 44 games, hit 351 with uh, nine homers and 24 of his stolen bases came in a ball in only 44 games moved to high A where he hit 288, had some more homers, 13 more stolen bases. Then he touched double A where he had four more homers hitting 212, which was a little bit of a struggle and two stolen bases. But that also leads to the next point. Arizona Fall League, like you said, that's a five level move. In one year and that's big and it's also kind of a telling point why jordan lawler might be coming up to the majors sooner rather than later we've talked about this a whole bunch the diamondbacks are covered with the player that they need for you know the potential for um an extra pick in compensation for the new rules that's corbin carroll because he qualifies as a rookie for rookie of the year so what i expect is jordan lawler to play a triple a for at least half the year. And the Diamondbacks give serious consideration because that scalpel injury is not expected to hinder any spring training. And what I've seen out of him is a complete, complete change in how patient he was. You know, coming in to the draft, Frank, he was seen as a strikeout issue. He was seen as more free swing and miss than any of the other prospects. And what he's done is he's honed it in. He's walking more. He's hitting for power. I have that video out on my Twitter, Is It The Welsh, where you can see where he thought he didn't hit a homer and he did. And he runs like crazy. He is the epitome of five tool player. He was the best AFL player here, um, at least for the first two weeks. And he started to taper down and then he got hurt. So it's going to be really hard to tell. But Jordan Lawler, I think, is in an elite class where he just doesn't have a lot of holes in his game and he is rocketing through the system that I think he could touch the majors in 2023.
0: Let's move over to Anthony Volpe with the Yankees, who had a solid season, but it definitely took a step back from where he was in 2021. And this past year, he hit 249 with 21 homers and 50 steals. You like to see the steals too, because... Obviously, we're expecting players to run more in general at the Major League level this year, but the Yankees were one of those organizations that were more aggressive on the base paths than we have seen in years past. We just saw with Aaron Judge, he sold 16 bases, and they let a few of their other players run a little bit. So I think that's only a good thing for guys like Peraza and, and Volpe, who are coming soon. Uh, did get off to a really slow start and then picked it up from June 1st on. Welsh, are you still in on Volpe? Maybe the way, the same way you were... Going into the start of 2022.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm unapologetically a big Anthony Volpe guy. A fun little fact, too, when we're talking about all these positional stuff. It's so funny how you will see MILB, uh, when you go and check out their player page, he's actually listed as a second baseman. And... In the minors, he has played two career uh, games at second base, and he's played 245 at shortstop. Just a nice little fun I, fact. That's I'll tell you
0: there. what, as a Yankee fan, I don't think that he is going to stay at shortstop. I think he's going to wind also up do playing not, second or third base. But yeah,
1: I also think that is absolutely a possibility, uh, though they have kept What you can tell is they have kept him there to continue that defense, to give them more flexibility to make sure that he can but this team is built around them. I mean, one of their top prospects, international prospect, Roderick Arias, who did not have a good season this past year in his uh, international debut. That's one of those guys you're building off of. And Oswald Peraza, someone we're going to talk about. But I think anthony volpe is a elite player he really really struggled at the uh, early part of the season which kind of um it kind of set the tone for the early part of the year and kind of set the tone for the early stages of what he did in april he hit 197 in may he hit 207 and that took everything back but starting in june he hit 298 in june 296 in july and then uh he hit actually whatever this number didn't uh, calculate 247 in August where it tapered back. And he kind of found that average again. I think Anthony Volpe kind of just like we're talking about with Jordan Lawler, He is a full on five tool player, 20 homers, 50 stolen bases and 21 homers and 50 stolen bases this past year. I think the batting average is better than what's put on the table here. Um, As far as like his career goes, you know, being like a 250 hitter is really not, you know, what he's built around being. He's been better than this, and I think he's going to hit. I think the way he makes contact is more contact based that I would think the power would go away but he's going to steal bases. And any of these guys, I come back to that conversation, you know, you, you and Scott and I had where it's like, You can dismiss stolen bases at the lower levels, but when you really start to focus and think about the advantage that minor leaguers uh, had now and major leaguers are going to have with potential stolen bases, why not take guys that have done it at elite clips? Why would you not consider that at elite clips with some of these guys? And this guy just stole 50 bases this past year and has stole 89 in 275 games. So I believe in Anthony Volpe. I think his bat is way better than what you saw this year. He hit 294 the previous year when he had one of the bigger adjustments going from A to high A. And um, the Double A AA to AAA adjustment was there, but you're kind of starting to develop more power. I think Anthony Volpe is underrated. This would actually be a guy I would be trying to go and buy, especially if someone considers him not a top 10 prospect right now.
0: Number four on this list is Ellie de la Cruz. Actually, I guess if we're not counting Jackson Trio, it would be number three on this list. Number Ellie three, de la yeah. Cruz with the Reds, who I I guess you could call him the breakout minor leaguer of the year. It probably would come down to him and Jackson Trio, right? Just I guess where they started. And where they finish, just like what they accomplished this year? I think
1: it would be Churio because Churio was literally not on any radars. I remember um, during that extended spring training, I actually shared some information. Brewers have this great, a lot of these teams now, if anyone ever wants to check them out, a lot of these teams now have these player development uh, Twitter accounts, which are awesome. And some are better than others. And sometimes they share information. The Brewers are really great about it. And they were sharing info and they were sharing Jackson Churio and nobody was on Churio whatsoever. I mean, nobody was in on him. Ellie De La Cruz definitely had some eyes and some attention last year. In 2021, uh, he stole 10 bases, hit eight homers, hit 296, only 61 games with the Reds. And this was between rookie ball and high A ball. And this is like a large human being. He's six foot five. They list him at 200 pounds. So he had some stuff on him. But back to your point, it's like 1A, 1B, but Churio definitely was the breakout prospect. But Ellie is right there because Ellie went from he's very intriguing and preseason, there was a lot of kind of juice going on him. Actually, in my prospect 180 P's I do where I, I create the ADP system for prospects, he, he was on there. Churio was not drafted. Uh Ellie de la Cruz was pushed up pretty big time coming into this year. And to my shock, I gotta say, I was kinda negative on him. And I didn't mean to like cut you off. I want you to no, set no, no, up whatever good. else you want to set up with Ellie de la Cruz, but I was kind of shocked at how well he performed. 28 homers, 47 stolen bases, hit over 300. Just like last year, he moved two levels. And what's super impressive is he hit over 300 at both of these levels. Transitionally, starting at high A as a 20-year-old. And let's see, he turned... Yeah, I mean, so he spent the whole season as a 20-year-old. There's a 20-year-old in high A to then go to double A. That's wild. And to have the success he had, that's wild. But, you know, I will say... He's got really long levers. He's six foot five, destroys fastballs. He's doing even better at learning how to destroy mistakes. He's playing in the Dominican Winter League right now. And he went from someone that I think I think might be like a, a heightist Frank a little bit like, cause I had the same thing with O'Neill Cruz. There was just something about the Kyle blanks back in my brain. The, the six foot seven, the six foot six guys that get out on the plate with these big, long levers who have strikeout issues, kind of swing and miss issues. I always just feel like ah, it's going to be really hard for them to transition. And O'Neill Cruz is, is answering that call. And I kind of associated some of the similar things to Ellie, Ellie Cru- De La Cruz, but Ellie De La Cruz is probably a better athlete and Noel V Marte. They traded for, He ain't taking over that short spot, just like we talked about. That's going to be at least given an opportunity to L.A. De La Cruz. And it might be this year, which is wild. So, I mean, the future of this team could be Jonathan Indy at second, L.A. De La Cruz at short, and then you got uh, Noelvi Marte at third, not to mention the slew of other guys that they have. But this is a massive, massive power-speed combination player that regardless if there are some warts, if there are strikeout issues, he had 158 in 120 games. He walked 40 times. That's going to be a problem. He's going to be challenged big time this year, and we'll watch it. But listen... That type of elite stats, almost 30 homers and 50 stolen bases, you buy on it and you just pray that it clicks at the major league level and they can develop him right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really want to hammer home the point that you made about him getting up to double A, not just getting up to double A. He played 47 games at double A as a 20 year old and he was awesome. He had a batting average over 300 OPS over 900 at that level too. So it's, Regardless of where he played last year, he was amazing. So he's gonna and, I, I would say probably start at double A again, right? And then work out. Well, no, AAA? see that's funny
1: that you say that. I think there's a decent opportunity that he starts at AAA this year because okay. think of think of that workload that you got at double A, where you played almost fifty games and you dominated it. Then he went out and he's playing in the uh, Dominican Winter league right now. That's like this another version of the Arizona Fall League. That doesn't seem like a move to me where you're going to push him back down to double A like he's got anything to prove. I, I think L.A. De La Cruz is going to start at AAA, and I think they're going to attempt to give a really good long full season look. They've obviously made a bunch of moves I know we're going to talk about um, that are kind of stopgap moves. And they also have a guy named Jose Barrero who they probably don't want to quite give up on. But I think if L.A. De La Cruz repeats even 85% of what he did last year. I don't know how they're going to justify keeping him down. Uh, And we're talking in June or July territory because he's going to get a ton of reps. But again, that's going to be a big challenge for him. And he is going to see a lot of different pitching. You know, he probably started to see it at double A, which he really dominated. But that was on the back half of the year. I want to see early double A or early triple A and how he reacts. But he has got all the tools to put up big old stats. And it would be the same type of, um, the same type of risk you would take on a guy like O'Neal Cruz you would do with Ellie De La Cruz.
0: So this is really cool. If you go to Baseball Reference, they actually show you Dominican Winter League stats. And Ellie De La Cruz, as you mentioned, he's out there right now. He's hitting 274. He's got one homer. He has nine steals. He has 27 strikeouts in 25 games with a 791 OPS. Pretty small sample. Again, it's only 25 games. He is... On average, eight years younger than, than every other player that's playing wild. there right now. So it, it's pretty crazy, right? Like he's, he's getting his feet wet right now. So really, really interesting player to pay attention to. And he's someone who could make a massive impact in the second half of this season. As soon as this he, year, LED La
1: Cruz. He really is. You know, by the way, on uh, people can see on the ball wall, it's actually covered. But one of those balls at the top right here over across, if you're watching on the live stream on YouTube, which you guys should be doing, go and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Today on YouTube. This top row up here are all uh, Futures Games baseballs, and we've got an LED De La Cruz on there. So a little LED De La Cruz and a Jackson Churio, who does not qualify at shortstop, dumb Welsh.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about Ezekiel Tovar. You know, I think we, we've been here for 20 minutes. We I think we've talked about three players so far, but hey, they're really hey, good players. that's what we do. They're really interesting players. Ezekiel Tovar, he missed a bunch of time this past season of the Rockies, by the way. I should mention that. But when he played, he was very, very good. He hit 319, 14 homers, 17 steals, a 927 OPS in 71 games. Question, uh, I just combined the words Welsh and question question Welsh? for you Welsh would be how much do you buy it how much do you buy into what we saw from Ezekiel Tovar this year because he was a sub 800 OPS bat the three seasons before this
1: one how much do you buy it yeah see I I have like a long-standing like issue with Ezekiel Tovar but it but also what I recognize is that just about development uh, I have this vivid memory that anyone that's listened to my show prospect one has heard me talk about but This is two years ago. Ezekiel Tovar was like the youngest guy in the Arizona Fall League. They brought him up. And this was a preceding move until him hitting the majors. And I'm standing with uh, Eno Saris. And Eno, we're we're sitting and watching Tovar. And I'm like, look at this guy. This is Ezekiel Tovar. And he's just like, I don't like him. And he's like, body's too small. Uh, I just, I don't like the approach. I don't like the swing approach. And again, this is like the youngest guy that's in the Arizona Fall League doing this. And it kind of stuck with me even though he had a high batting average and he had a little bit of a pop in his homers that year, it just wasn't really sold, especially with Rocky's prospects. And I kind of took that into last year and he went in and though he was, you know, he was dealing with some injury stuff, had a really, really great season in 71 games, hit 14 homers with 17 stolen bases, the strikeout rate. I mean, in perspective, 57 strikeouts in uh, 104, 71 games in 2022, he had 66 strikeouts. So it's just like a minimal increase that this guy isn't a big strikeout guy. He started to hit for power in a place that we're going to give extra bonuses for in Colorado. And he was still stealing some bases. So, as far as my belief goes, I don't think my belief is is as extensive as other people, uh, that Ezekiel Tovar is going to be an incredibly elite, elite player, but... He has increased his batting average every single year since 2019. That is including a COVID year that was in there. He is His power numbers have been sustainable and were much higher this year. He hit 15 in 104 games in 2001 and 14 in only 71 this past year. So he's learning to hit the ball for a little bit more power. That's why the strikeout numbers came up a little bit. And he can steal. So is Ezekiel Tovar on the path to potentially being a 2020 player? Yeah, especially with Colorado. They're going to run. I think they're going to run more than we're used to. You know, we joke about all these guys that could run there and they never utilized them. But when Zach Veen comes and Tovar um, is there, I think they're going to be able to run a little bit more. I think I'm a little bit more skeptical that the power is going to be elite. I'm kind of worried that he's going to be like a 10 to 12 homer, 20 stolen base shortstop, which at the end of the day, that's usually like you know, maybe 15th at shortstop, maybe sub 15, you know, you're getting into maybe middle infield. I'm worried he's going to live there a little bit because the one thing I didn't see was a big major change developmentally in his body. And you want to see some growth there, but let's see what happens in this off season. And uniquely of all these guys, he has got the greatest path to break camp with the uh, Colorado Rockies uh, than anybody else. They also let go of Garrett Hampson uh, on that team. So there is a good possibility he breaks camp with the team. He is the guy, and he can get you some cheap stats. No guarantees, though, because they got Brendan Rodgers there. But uh, hopefully we see him.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was my next question. He played nine games with the Rockies in September slash October. He only has five games at AAA. So I didn't know if it was a sure thing that he would break camp. And obviously, look, nothing is a sure thing right now at the end of November, but... If you want to talk about a team that needs to take advantage of this, hey, let's put ourselves in position to try and get an extra draft pick compensation rule, it's the Rockies, right? They they need to be in on this.
1: What I'm torn about, though, is he seemed like the most obvious of obvious player to go to the Arizona Fall League. He missed significant time. He needs those at-bats, yet the team decided to send him to the majors and then not send him. To the Arizona Fall League, which by the way, his team played at their complex here where he could work out with their coaching staff that would be here. So a lot of that didn't make sense to me if there was something else. So I'm really torn. I have no idea if he's going to end up breaking camp with the team. I think it makes more sense that they put him at AAA. But also, like you said, like look at that Rockies team. He's the only guy on that team, unless they break camp with uh, Veen, that could get them that extra compensation. They should be fighting for that type of stuff. That team yeah. of all teams should be. So that is an extra little tiny push of why Tovar could be a really, really good right now. Like I have no idea where he's going in NFBC drafts or anything like that. I could actually take a look. I think I've got it up here, but I think I have it... Uh, Marked by shortstop, uh, which actually would have worked. But Tovar is going, let's see. I have 287.6 right now. I'm actually surprised it's that high, but that's great. I mean, that, that you can see that, you know, the smart money... On the NFBC drafts, high, high, more competitive, high dollar stuff. They're drafting him inside the top 300. I think that's a really good bet right now because why? The Rockies are really going to have to like justify. Why would you not have this guy out there? Who you're going to, who are you going to go sign? You know, sign as Drupal Cabrera after he's punching players. You're going to bring him (laughs) in shortstop. No, Tovar's the guy, dude.
0: That was crazy by the way that that you is that? Thing. Like, what is going on with that guy uh, anyway let's uh, I guess let's wrap up here on the dynasty shortstop prospects I mean gosh we could just do a whole hour just on these names we could. Um, but a quick shout out three more names here Jackson holiday who is the son of Matt holiday he looks like he's 12 years old but he would definitely beat me up no doubt about it first overall pick by the Orioles in this year's draft Marcelo Meyer he was the fourth overall pick in last year's draft by the Red Sox, and this past season, quality year, 280, 888 OPS. I've heard some uh, Corey Seager comps for Marcelo Meyer. The other name is Marco Luciano, who seems like he's lost some of his luster as a quote-unquote top prospect with the Giants. He was limited to just 65 games this past season. He's obviously known for big power, but he has not really put up those gaudy numbers that you wanna see in the minors since 2019. So three obviously very big names there, some quick thoughts on each uh each of these Jackson Holiday, Marcelo Meyer, Mar- Marco Luciano.
1: Yeah, Jackson Holiday is just the big bet for the future. Um has a whole lot of tools, had the bloodlines, first-year player guy, draft him high, had a really good start to uh, you know, his rookie season, uh rookie ball play. So, you know, it's, I think that's kind of easy stuff on uh, Holiday. Uh Mayor's kind of—he's been a little iffy. I mean, kind of similar to how the Red Sox development has been. Like even with Nick York, you know, Nick York had a little bit of a patch. Mayor, this was always my thing. There, there was this big debate um, in that draft where it was Lawler or Mayor, and that's where everybody was sitting. And I was on the Lawler side over Mayor because I always felt that the counting stats were going to be bigger with Marcelo Mayor, and I felt he uh, Mayor had the uh, the floor. And it looks like that it's maybe not even either one. I mean, Lawler still might be a little bit more volatile, but I just don't know if Mayer's going to be like an elite category player. So I'm not quite as high as everybody else on him. You know, Michael Luciano, I think I'm just kind of, there's a ton of worries and and warts, if you will, on his game. The strikeout rate is a problem. He he missed a lot of time this year. He was actually out here in, uh, in uh, Arizona for a decent amount of the time while he was hurt, just kind of, you know, Hanging out, uh, working out, and then he, I think they really slowed his push back. He played in the Arizona Fall League uh, the previous year, and then he played a little bit on the back end. He has not put up those big, gaudy numbers that he did in the Arizona Fall League. But, you know, my argument still with him is that he's just young. You know, he, he just turned 21, I believe. Um, Or maybe it was, no, I guess he just turned 22. This just hasn't updated. Uh, His birthday was um, in September, it looks like. But I still think in how he's gone, they've slowly pushed him along. And what I saw from him as a young player was just huge, impactful power, a really good way to uh, beat mistakes. The problem is for fantasy speeds going away. He's never played a position outside of shortstop. And I think that's going to be coming this year. And I think that'll be very telling about him. But I'm not ready with what I saw early on. And what I still think is out there, if they could, and this is what's so wild, the Giants have been such a great team of developing a whole bunch of on-base percentage type of guys, 400 OBP players, guys that can walk, guys that are a whole, really, really patient. And that's not something that Marco Luciano has, has done. I really hope that they press that. With him, and he can start to show some lowered strikeout rate because if he does, I think it's going to manifest into more power and more hits to an elite level. And I think this is a a plus critical year. It's full season, should be I guessing at double A, should move through triple A, and if he's successful, you might see him in the majors soon. If he's not, I think he could be a trade piece for the Giants, especially if they're going to make some of those big free uh, free agent moves that we're talking about. They might want to get in on the uh, trade market, but I just don't think it's worthwhile giving up on Marco uh, Luciano yet.
0: All right. Just a few other names I'll quickly mention, Welsh. If there's anything else that you want to hit on these guys or someone that I haven't mentioned, just feel free to throw their name out. Again, these are more so from a dynasty perspective. We're looking at this long term. We'll get into the redraft names in just a bit. They are mostly names that you've heard already, but a few others that we haven't mentioned. Brady House, Luis Angel Acuna, Edwin Arroyo, Matt McCain, McClain, Brooks Lee. Again, the position is loaded with prospects. Those are those guys so are loaded. probably all inside the top 100, top 120, at least something like that. So, uh, anything that you'd like to hit on from those five additional names?
1: Well, I want to throw out one that you didn't mention that probably is a it's above a handful of them, at least on my personal list, is Jackson Merrill. You didn't mention Jackson Merrill, True. who yes. was, I believe, the youngest player out here in the Arizona Fall League and showed veteran veteran moves out here as far as how he was hitting. Started to turn on a ball for power. He's a contact-based hitter. He can steal. He's bigger. That was one of the things I remember. Actually, that was the first game you and I were at. Uh, we were actually standing next to Jackson Merrill and he was the double-double. Remember, he was the double-double player <laughs> and the whole crowd was screaming at him <laughs> (laughs) hit a double and he turned around at one guy who was kind of yelling at him. And he's like, he's like, come on, man. He's like burgers, like five bucks. They're not that expensive. Like (laughs) Merrill's just a great personality. He is insightful to the game and he took the test of being one of the youngest players out there. So I just want to throw him out because I think he might be of all those names you threw out one of the, probably one of the best. And I'm trying to look like, I think I only have Brooks Lee above him. The guy I have right next to Merrill though is Brady house, Brady house. I don't think is going to end up necessarily being a shortstop had, I think, a pretty miserable season compared to the expectations. He is a um, he's a physical specimen. He's a big power guy. He did not tap into it this past year, and I'm really hoping that he... I, I think Brady House has a potential to overpower some of all the talk of what's going on in the national system. You got Robert Hassel, you got James Wood. I think Brady House could be the best of all of them if he could tap into his potential. So I really like Brady House. Jackson Merrill's a guy. Luis Alejandro Cunha, I think, is fun. Um, I think he's fringy top 100. I think he sits in that range. And I don't remember if I missed anybody else you you brought up. Brooks Lee. Brooks Lee is going to be a great first-year player guy. I like Zach Neto more than him from the Angels in first-year player. But Brooks Lee looks like he's going to be uh, a little bit more of one of those power shortstops without the speed where Neto is going to have, I think, uh, all five categories.
0: All right. Before we hit the break. We do have a nice little deal going on for you. If you want to support your favorite fantasy baseball podcast, you can do that by heading over to the CBS Sports Store where we have FBT shirts, hoodies, sweatpants, hats, pint glasses, and much more. Just search Fantasy Baseball Today CBS Sports Store on the Google machine or just pull out your phone and scan the QR code that we have in the top right corner here if you're watching us, It's just above the Welsh the there. Mean. Pick out your phone, uh, pull out your phone, and uh, take a picture of that. That'll send you right over to the website. And seeing as how it is the season of giving, we're gonna give you a nice little deal here. Use the promo code FRIDAY right Friday at checkout this weekend for 25% off your purchase. Again, it has to be used this weekend, November 25th through uh, Sunday, November 27th, the promo code Friday for 25% off. Let's see. There you go. He just did it. That's I just on. did.
1: It. I scanned it. I scanned the code as we were talking. I see some great mugs. I see some yeah. shirts, some hat. Ooh, is that a pint glass? I want that pint glass. Let's do Someone it. Someone get that for me. Some good stuff on there. That was really easy. Just scan the code and perfect. This right here. Ooh, this is a really nice hoodie. There's a really nice gray hoodie out there. It's a little bit going, but uh, I like it. I like it, Frank.
0: Very nice. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back right after this.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, Marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: All right, let's get back into the top shortstop prospects. And these are the ones that will help you most, hopefully, in the 2023 uh, redraft leagues. Up top, we've got Ezekiel Tovar because, frankly, we're expecting him to uh, break camp with the Rockies. Then we have Anthony Volpe and Jordan Lawler. Could be you know a couple of months into the season before we see either of those names. Three more that we haven't talked about yet. Royce Lewis still has prospect eligibility of the Minnesota Twins, one of the top prospects, or I guess former top prospects in the game. Hit the ground running for the Twins this past season, uh, and then tore his ACL for the second
1: time. Hit the wall running. Yeah. (laughs) What What is it like a two or three year span where he's now tore his ACL twice? It was twice in a year and a half span, and that's what. And and you know, I just want to throw out. I'm gonna let you finish, but I just want to throw out like the redraft side of this is really really difficult on these guys that are going to be out there, and that's why you know we're even uh, in in many cases. I think Royce Lewis could not be put out there because of the ACL because he's Probably not going to be back until probably June is the look. So maybe you could get a half season out of everything if everything goes correctly. But that's kind of the state of it because the dynasty part is so rich, but there's so many players that I don't think are breaking camp. It's such a primary position, the shortstop. It's kind of the captain of the infield that handing over the reins to young guys is very few and far between, especially kind of at this stage of development that uh, we just don't have a whole lot of those guys that are jumping at that spot right now.
0: Speaking of Royce Lewis, though, what he did this year, he looked really impressive. 34 games at AAA, five homers, 12 steals, OPS over 900. Played 12 games with the Twins, where he hit 300 with two homers, four doubles, 94th percentile max exit velocity. Lots to like there with Royce Lewis. We just unfortunately have to wait for him to return. Oswald Peraza with the Yankees. Yes, they have two top-ish shortstop prospects in the game. I think Peraza sticks at shortstop. I think Volpe probably winds up playing second base or third base, whichever one it might be. Uh, and then Mason Wynn, who we did see out at the AFL. He is a Cardinals prospect. Big speed. 43 steals in the minors this past year. But don't want to discount what el- what the other things that he did. He hit 283. he He's got 12 homers. OPS over .800. Uh, and he got 86 games in at AA. So... Yeah, I think he probably starts the year at AAA and we probably could see him up sooner rather than later for the Cardinals. So three names there. You already kind of talked about Royce Lewis. What do you think about Oswald Peraza and Mason Wynn making an impact this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, Peraza might actually make the most sense of any of these guys if you're drafting because, you know, he's got the major league experience. So if the Yankees do if if, I mean... You know, they've got LeMahieu and they've got some flexibility out there. I don't know that this team would go out and immediately throw Peraza and Volpe out uh, on day one. So it might be Peraza at the start. And I've uh, been an oswald Praza fan, 19 homers, 33 stolen bases this past year. His batting average kind of sank. This is actually very similar to Volpe. It was kind of a Yankees thing that went on, but he's got a big home run approach and he can kind of do it on all facets of the field. So he might get the best chance. Mason Wynn is a wild card here because here's the thing I think about him. He has got major league defense ready now. He could go out there and he could give you gold glove, I think, shortstop play today. And what's funny about that is this is a guy that was a pitcher like three years ago. He's a two way player. He's famously now the whole Justin Turner rivalry where he threw a hundred at the futures game and Justin Turner kind of, you know, crapped on it and was like, why do you need to do that? And then he kind of like, you know, pushed it back. The guy's defense is phenomenal. He can run. He can definitely uh, spray the ball to all points of the field. The power's a little bit in question, but the body is pretty impressive of where he's at. Here's the problem. This team has already got Brendan Donovan, who just won a a gold glove at second base. They've got Tommy Edmond that's sitting out there. And they are tied with lots of rumors to shortstops, Dansby Swanson being another one of those. So if they go and pick up one of those guys, what I will struggle with is now where do you even go with win? I mean it's already a clog without a new shortstop coming in. If Edmund is going to play, let's say it's Edmund and Brendan Donovan. How do you crack that? Uh, I just don't know. So I'm a little bit worried. Mason Wynn might have a full season of minor league in him. I wouldn't throw it past him to maybe throw him back at double A. But I think triple A is the play. I think he goes with Jordan Walker. If Jordan Walker doesn't break camp, but, Uh, Mason Wynn would be higher if he was on another team. If I thought there was a better path, I think his defense... like A team like the Diamondbacks, who are kind of uh, floating around... I know we have Lawler, but uh, just bear with me. A team like the Diamondbacks that are looking for a shortstop to play now... If they had that type of defense, I think Wynn is the type of guy they could justify just right now. I mean, Lawler's a fantastic defender, but Mason Wynn is killer with that arm, great glove. And if there was any need, a team could just throw them out and justify, hey, we're just going to go with it. But the Cardinals just don't need to.
0: Yeah, no, I was gonna bring up Nolan Gorman too, right? Like just another player in the mix. Not that you know he's not the defender that we've talked about with with these other names, but they have Donovan and they have Edmund, and they still have Nolan Gorman. And you know, I've seen some trade rumors with Gorman, so maybe they try and flip him somewhere for pitching or an outfielder Would or something like that. Make a lot of sense. But uh, I mean, I guess the DH spot is open now that Pujols isn't there. But I don't know what they do with him too.
1: Yeah, I think DH would actually make the most sense if they do keep him. I think I think he would make a lot of sense in uh, in a move. You know, he still has some uh, tradability. Um, the teams could justify playing him at first. He's played second. He obviously was a third baseman. He's got light tower power. Maybe a team can kind of overhaul his swing. I, I still like Nolan Gorman, but I think he might need to head out in a different trade, and we'll just have to see what the Cardinals do. But again, this is kind of a... Um, this is kind of the reason why shortstop for redraft is how it is. I, I mean, I could have thrown out Ellie de la Cruz. I think I get a possibility with how the Brewers move, uh, Churio, even though he's not a shortstop, you know, I think that's a guy that can move up. Like, I just don't know with some of these young guys, how these teams are going to move all these players. And I could, if you told me right now that like Ellie de la Cruz, Volpe, Lawler, and Wynn were all at the majors in May, I really wouldn't be that shocked. But I just don't know. And there's not a lot of like major league ready prospect shortstops that fit the bill until you start to go really, really far down the list. So that's why we kind of talk about these guys. You're just not going to get immediate help. And hey, if Royce Lewis was healthy, he'd probably be number one on this list. If he were going to start and break camp, I think he'd be the number one redraft shortstop pretty much without question, even over Tovar.
0: Last point on Oswald Peraza, the early NFBC ADP, now 24, 15 team leagues that have been drafted. So we're, we're starting to climb. We're starting to get some data here. Peraza's ADP is outside the top 400 wow, at 418, 400. which he's going oh, 125 picks after Ezekiel Tovar. And I like Tovar, but I also really like Peraza. I, I This isn't a Yankee bias thing. I think he's their starting shortstop, at least for the beginning part of the season. He looked really, really good in the, the small sample that he played with them. 18 games, he hit three hundred six, one homer, three doubles, two steals, plate discipline looked good, 10% walk, 16% strikeout. He looked really, really poised when they called him up. I think and he's the their team. starting shortstop.
1: And the team has openly talked about their love of Peraza and Volpe. They have. didn't table.
0: they had a chance to sign. I guess they still have a chance to sign any of these shortstops. Obviously that will determine a lot, but last offseason, they had a chance to go after a Correa or someone like that. And they basically shot it down because they said, we have Peraza and Volpe coming like, and they, there was no joke. Yeah, guys. you're
1: 100% right. Also, all of these rumors out there, I just throw this out, even though, you know, I'm a lot of second base. But, you know, if there's these Glaber Torres rumors that are kind of floating out there. I think there, he's gone. If they, I think if they gone. move Glaber Torres out, that's just more room for these guys, for them to kind of let these guys go. And really, you know, it's I've liked it. I was just talking about this with, um, with a couple other teams. But, you know, it's like that auction strategy of the studs and scrubs. Teams can start implementing, if you have a good minor league system, you can implement more studs and scrubs where it's, this is the Dodgers. This was my point to the Dodgers being able to do this, where if they were to uh, unload for judge, and then you got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, and then you obviously have some money tied to like Muncie and Will Smith. You've got the guys, you've got the Miguel Vargas's that can come up and play. You've got Gavin Lux, you've got controllable players. You can't just spend $20 million at every single position. You have to have young, controllable players that are major league ready. And the Yankees know that. That's the way that you can compete. And they can go and buy a couple of the big impactful bats. They can go and buy pitching, which they really love to do, which is totally fine. But you've got to develop some of these guys and give them an opportunity. And Peraza and Volpe seem like those guys, which would be probably an incredible thing frank if you saw the yankees with two rookie infielders controlling the middle infield but that's where we might be headed with some of these teams
0: Uh, yeah i mean i think for sure peraz is starting and volpe depends how aggressive they want to be you know they're they're still gonna have lemay i i hope they trade josh donaldson but i i don't know that they're gonna be able to move i think he has 25 million dollars left on his deal there's a lot of smoke with the Glaber-Torres rumors right now, and I think they wind up moving him for a pitcher. I, I, I know Pablo uh, Lopez was a, a rumor mid-season, yeah. so would not surprise me one bit. Uh, let's get into some news and notes before we uh, wrap up with a few buy and sell candidates at the shortstop position in Dynasty Leagues. And I mentioned earlier, non-tender day last Friday. 77 players were non-tendered in Major League Baseball, which means they are now free agents. And every year... We get a few surprises and undoubtedly the biggest name. I don't know that it was a surprise, but I think it's a surprise in the way that just his stature, right? Cody Bellinger, just three years removed from winning the National League MVP, 2019, now non-tendered. Why? Over the past three seasons, 2020 through 2022, he is batting 203 with a 648 OPS and a 25% strikeout rate. Has not looked the same since his uh, shoulder surgery following the 2020 postseason. We all remember he did the bash bro thing. Uh, dislocates his shoulder, has off-season surgery. Really has not been the same since. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that he can get back on track, Welsh. I mean, we've seen some Rockies rumors. I, I guess, obviously, that would help with like the BABIP and everything. But he just looks completely lost. He's going to wind up somewhere. He'll be a starter, but... Even at his suppressed cause, I don't know that I'm gonna be buying on Cody Bellinger.
1: Yeah, I want to. I was big Cody Bellinger guy. I believe that the um the fixes could happen and it's just it's so difficult to believe. That guys can go from MVP caliber seasons to nothing. That's why the Rocky thing would be embarrassing because you want a prime example. Look at Chris Bryant. You know, Chris Bryant has just never been the same, and Colorado wasn't any real fix. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Like the thing I've been waiting for, there was some like things that maybe he did behind the scenes that he stopped doing this past year, which was kind of a rumor that maybe that would help. Uh, you know, help him focus a little bit better. That didn't help. I would love to hear. About some real mechanical changes, working with some groups, working with some hitting coaches, working with somebody to rehaul this because all that's happened is he looks like he is up there guessing at every point. And he's one of those dudes, you get him, you get one strike on Cody Bellinger and he's done. You know, if he, if he doesn't have the advantage in the count, like a two, one, three, one count. He's done. And I just don't know where the fix is going to be. I still think he's crazy, crazy talented with insane power. I just hope he can go to a place that can actually fix it. I'm just not hopeful because, I mean... Tell me on a team with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, the Dodgers, there's nobody that can help. I mean, I I would love information. If they had a hard knocks of baseball, I would have loved for it to be with the Dodgers and find out, like, what were they doing behind the scenes with Cody Bellinger? That would make me feel better about what is uh, potential and what's possible with him. But surface level stuff doesn't really matter. He's just a name. He's just a name without production. Look at what he's done the past two years against breaking and
0: off-speed pitches. So I don't want to. (laughs) This past season, he hit 140 against breaking pitches, 160 against off-speed. Last year, 183 against breaking pitches, 195 against off-speed.
1: And what is his batting average against uh, fastballs? Probably 220, 230, 253. So you know he's still he's still serviceable
0: against fastballs, I guess. But look at what he did when he won the MVP. He hit 327 against fastballs. No, it's crazy. Yeah, but that's the problem is is when you're guessing
1: when you're guessing and you're sitting up there and you're cheating for off speed because you can't hit it. You also learn to not hit a fastball. And that is like the That is the ultimate effect, the cause and reaction to all of it. Cody Bellinger feels like he has got all the tools that are just wired wrong. And you just wish there was a baseball electrician that could put them back in place.
0: Other notable names that were non tendered last week. We saw former top pitching prospect Alex Reyes. Of the Cardinals, he was non-tendered, Garrett Hampson, Jamer Candelario, Edwin Rios, Brian Anderson, Dominic Smith, Jorge Alfaro, Raimel Tapia, Luke Voigt, and another former pitching prospect of the Cubs, Braylon Marquez. So, you know, I guess those are like the bigger names that highlight it. Anyone else stand out to you here, Welsh?
1: Um, no, I mean I love Alex Reyes. I always loved Alex Reyes. Just destroyed by health. If the Cardinals can't fix you, I think that's a big sign. If they're not, if they're going to let you go. That's a big sign. But I will tell you, I'm a sucker for Alex Reyes. And if he, God, wouldn't you just love to see him go? I mean, I'm like, please go to the Diamondbacks. But I, if you went to like the guardians or the Mariners or somebody take a shot on him. I wish he could be a starter, but I think he could still be a really impactful uh, back into the bullpen guy just because of his stuff. But I feel like we barely seen him pitch in the last three years. So that that was one of the, probably the biggest uh, outside of Cody Bellinger non tender that kind of made my eyes jump.
0: Yeah, I would throw Tampa Bay in that mix. I mean, they just do a great job of, you know, either developing pitching or getting pitching back on track. You know, Houston has a good track record of doing that too. So, a few other organizations, you know, we'll be watching and and see where Alex Reyes lands here in the offseason. We had some minor trades as well. Kevin Newman was traded to the Reds, Kyle Farmer was traded over to the Twins, Gio Urshela traded to the Angels. He does have a history there because their manager is Phil Nevin, who used to be the bench coach of the Yankees, the, the year that Gio Urshela was actually pretty good or the the couple of years. So obviously um, they have some faith there in Gio. And you know, I saw Scott tweeting about this. I didn't really think about it, but he's going to have to play shortstop because Anthony Rendon is still their third baseman. They're paying him all this money. I, you know, maybe they, they DH Rendon here or there, but how are they going to do that? They have Shohei Otani. So I, I don't know. I think Urshela is probably just their starting shortstop, which
1: seems kind of weird. I would also throw out maybe this is also a little bit telling of the state of Anthony Rendon. Just think about that. Yeah. That might be the state of how the team is viewing Anthony Rendon. But yeah, I think this is a guy that they know can play third and can be a more impactful back uh bat at shortstop than they've gotten in God knows how long. So, he just might not be an everyday player, but I do think this is a little bit telling about Anthony Rendon.
0: You know, maybe they slide Rendon over to first base. Something like that. You know, I haven't seen any rumors play. of it, but I Look, it might be it might help him stay healthy, you know, going from third to first or whatever. So uh could make like some that. sense. Yep. Eliezer Hernandez was traded over to the Mets and your Diamondbacks got in on the action here. Welsh Kyle Lewis, former AL rookie of the year with the Mariners, he was traded to Arizona in exchange for Cooper Hummel, who, if you remember this past season, played some catcher, played a little outfield. He's a unique player. But yeah, you know, Kyle Lewis, there's there's still some upside there if he can get. Back on track with his health. Um, yeah. But the Diamondbacks have a lot of outfielders too. So
1: how, how do you feel about this trade personally? I love it. By the way, you broke this trade to me. I was doing a live stream on my Twitch. Uh, sometimes I do. I break some cards. I like cards, I like collecting and stuff. And we were doing a break. And I'm like, oh wait, hold on. Frank just texted me. Kyle Lewis got traded? I love it. Uh, The early indications are that he's going to be one of the primary outfielders versus righties. So he's going to be out there a whole lot. He might get platooned a little bit against lefties. Uh, The problem is, is they've got a lot of lefties that are already out there. And um, he would be up for some DH. That would be some of his spot. There's a lot of rumors that are going on with other outfielders as well. Uh, Dalton Varsho, Jake McCarthy, and Alex Ray, Alec Reyes, Thomas, Alec Reyes, Alec Thomas are all kind of in rumors about teams inquiring about outfield help. One that's really interesting to me is the Cubs have been um, poking around. Alec Thomas has some ties to Chicago. He lives in Chicago. I kind of wonder if there would be his uh, dad used to be the bench coach for the White Sox and um, he went to high school there. So I just wonder if there's any connection with that. If the Diamondbacks, especially, I think they're going to be a little bit more active than usual. If you're going to see them make a move during the winter meetings, that would answer questions. But even if not, I think you're still good to go. I think Alec Thomas is going to be viewed as a bench outfielder. Corbin Carroll's going to be out there. And then you're going to have some platoon between McCarthy, Varsho, Lewis, and Thomas. And Varsho still plays some catcher. But I think this is a great spot for him. He's going to get to DH a little bit more than he got in any other spot. Hopefully he can revive his career, Chase Field pretty pretty hitter friendly spot so uh, I'm very hopeful for Kyle Lewis and I think the team has a has a plan for him and they do plan to get him out there a decent amount. The
0: early roster resource page for the Diamondbacks has Paven Smith as their starting DH so God bless you, Pavin Smith, but I think Kyle Lewis might have a little bit more upside at this point, so would like to see him uh, get an opportunity there. Former first base prospect Lewin Diaz was claimed off waivers by the Pirates in 112 career games. Diaz is batting 181, 227, 340. All right. Nick Sinzel underwent surgery to repair a broken bone in his toe. It's fair to doubt if Sinzel will ever contribute anything at this point unfortunately. Uh, Michael Kopech's rehab process has been slower than expected. He missed the end of the season with a shoulder injury and then had right knee surgery in early October. Uh, Even with the slow rehab, the White Sox expect him to be ready for the start of spring training. And last but not least, shout out to our MVP award winners, Paul Goldschmidt in the National League and Aaron Judge in the American League, who won 28 of 30 first place votes. I was not expecting that kind of disparity between judge and Shohei Ohtani.
1: No, I was, I mean, I clearly went, if anyone listened to me all season long, I was not expecting that. I don't believe that. Like I get why judge won it. And I get at the end of the day that, you know, maybe he gets the majority of those votes, but for that almost unanimousness, like, I don't know. I really do think that people are, burning themselves on like, yeah, Otani did it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't think you're really recognizing how incredible what he does is. But I totally understand the uh, the focal media point to Aaron Judge and stuff like that. But I don't know, man.
0: I think it's almost Otani fatigue in the same way we see yeah, exactly. NBA where like LeBron James, whenever he's healthy, probably should win the MVP. But there were just years where he he didn't because it kind of just felt like there was LeBron James fatigue. Might be going on a little bit with Shohei Ohtani right now in baseball as well. Let's wrap up with some buy or sell candidates in Dynasty, specifically at the shortstop position. And Welsh, I see you have three names here. Who are you looking to buy?
1: Yeah, I just threw out a couple. Uh, Wander Franco, I'm putting him out there because I think he's at an all-time low. He had an incredible first month of the season. It really fell off the second, and then he got hurt, and he never regained himself. The pace that he had in that first month would have put some elite stats out there. I mean, he probably would have been pushing 30-30, but then he fell off. So who's the real guy? Either way... Uh, I do think it, it's risky if you're paying a high, high price, but I just feel like it's at an all time low. Everyone cares about Bobby Wade. Everyone cares about Julio Rodriguez wander stats, kind of low projections, even steamer projections are not crazy favorable to him. I think he can beat the power projections. I hope he keeps stealing. I think he can be a 300 plus hitter easy when healthy, but there's tons of questions out there. I just think it's a decent time that you can buy on him. Uh, and Older-ish name, which I just think this could be a prime spot, is Corey Seager. Corey Seager is someone I'm going to be more interested in um, in redraft this year. Really, really low BABIP. I think he's going to have a bigger breakout season this year. Put up, you know, obviously uh, immense changes as far as the hard hit that he had uh, when he was with the Dodgers, even into the Rangers. BABIP incredibly low. I think he's going to bounce back, and I think he can come at a really good cost. And like a further one down is C.J. Abrams. And C.J. Abrams has actually got some pretty interesting numbers with the Nationals projected uh, on steamer. It's like 11 homers, 18 stolen bases. And the one thing that stands out to me, C.J. Abrams is a great hitter, and he's one of the fastest players in baseball. The 18 stolen bases really stood out as far as the projected games go, because I think they're projecting him around 140 games. In the minor leagues, C.J. Abrams had essentially a um, a stolen base for every fourth of a hit. So, it would work out that, you know, ev- for if he had 100 hits, 25 stolen bases would be the number. That's the best way that I can put that out for you. This number of 18 stolen bases based on his hits is well under that. I think it's under like 15%. So, if you go by track records of what he's done in the minors, which he's an aggressive, aggressive base dealer, and he's super fast. This is way underselling him. And I want to say it was around 140 hits he's projected at this year, which would be closer to 30 stolen bases. So if he's getting the regular playing time, which he should, he's a better hitter than being given credit for. He's a really good athlete. and I think he's going to steal way more bases. So I don't know if the homers will get up there, but I just feel like he's going to steal more, score more runs for a team that can afford to put him higher in the lineup. And I think it's just a great time because I don't think Abrams cost you anything in dynasty right now. Now I'm obviously talking probably about more Roto and head to head points. I'm probably a lot less interested in him, but I just think he's, I'm gonna call him free or anything like that, but he doesn't have like one. I I don't know. He, I don't even think he has like 75% of the value he had a year ago right now. So I just think he's free.
0: Yeah. I like that call quite a bit. And for whatever it's worth uh, CJ Abrams in September and October, he played 30 games. He hit three Oh three with 14 runs scored and five steals. So kind of starting to figure it out towards the end of the season. I I don't know what the power looks like at all. I mean, could see this guy being in like a 6-8 to homer guy, but I think he could still steal 25 to 30 bases and and hit for batting average too. So I like that call quite a bit on C.J. Abrams. For me, you know, this one, I think this is so interesting. O'Neal Cruz is obviously a player that is talked about so highly in fantasy, right? And he's such a freak, and what he does athletically, I mean, the the exit velocity, 122.4, the highest in the StatCast era. The way I feel about him right now in redraft is actually very similar to Dynasty, right? You're buying on the upper trend, but if he hits his ultimate ceiling, you're talking about a player who is like perennially a first-round pick in fantasy baseball. Now, if he flames out, which is definitely possible given as much as he strikes out, I mean, he could be back in the minors this season. Uh, That wouldn't surprise me. I mean... You know he could end up being that player. Hey, remember that guy who played like half a season with the Pirates and he was really awesome and then just flamed out? Yeah, that was O'Neill Cruz. I think it could go a bunch of different directions. But if you're just shooting for upside, Welsh, I could see buying right now on O'Neill Cruz before he gets there.
1: Yeah, if you can't, like, and this is what's fun for me, I get to wash myself of the O'Neill Cruz hate. I was a hater last year. I hated, you know, he when hate, he hate, made hate, his hate, debut. <laughs> oh, dude, I was I was hater's ball um, when he came up. He instantly became the favorite to win rookie of the year. And we're talking, think about when he came up. I thought that was wild and everyone's giving him a pass and the early projections, people were drafting him crazy in uh, early drafts and he didn't play for months. I just thought it was also silly, but I get to wash that clean because now you have a full season. He made Really, really positive adjustments on the back half of the year. He started to learn the game. Steamer projections are wild on him again this year. It's close to 30 homers. It's almost 20 stolen bases. So you're talking about hitting his peak. I'm in for it. Redraft, I'm very much going to be in for O'Neill Cruz. I'm with you on the dynasty buy. It's just, it's got to depend at what cost. I just don't know he comes cheap. I really don't think he is. I think he's going to come at a really, really high cost. So I don't know if I'll be a major buyer, but like in a nutshell, I really like this one because there's a lot of potential upside. A few players that you're looking to sell at shortstop. Who you got? So um, I, I found this one a little bit tougher um, as far as sells. Dan Swanson was one that jumped out to me. You know, he has been relatively consistent as far as like uh, the power has gone. I thought his batting average popped up a little bit. Babbitt was a little bit high this year. I think that's going to come down projections agree. I think the stolen bases are going to be tough to be repeatable. And at the end of the day, Atlanta runs. And where is he going to go? And is it going to be a team that's going to let him run as much? Is it going to want to run as much? And I think he's kind of tied to some of the speed. So I only put that there that I don't think he's going to do a full repeat. So if you're able to sell him high, I would put out there. And this other one I'm throwing out, and I like your comment that you put on it. This one is it because I don't believe in this player. This one is because he um, he just won a World Series ring and an MVP. It's Jeremy Pena. Jeremy Pena, I would just put out there to see what I could get. Jeremy Pena's numbers are very Carlos Correa-esque. And I wonder if he could go that same path. You know, Carlos Correa never lived up to the dynasty price that you would pay. He could never statistically get there. Projections on him are around, you know, a little over 20 and 10. Uh, he had some batting average issues and stuff like that. I absolutely think he can mature and he can be better. The only reason I put it out there is to test the waters. What does it look like? After projections are solid, but he had that playoff run that he just had. Who would you rather have, Jeremy Peña or O'Neill Cruz in dynasty right now? I would say O'Neal Cruz, but I maybe maybe you could trade uh, Peña to get Cruz right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, is it crazy to say you can trade Peña to
1: get Wander Franco? In Dynasty right now? I don't think so. That, But that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, put it out there. Let's see what's going on. Because he does have room for improvement. And you do hate to sell, especially if he's going to move in the other direction. I just don't know if the stolen bases are going to always be there. But I really could see him being a 30 home run hitter. But maybe the sky's the limit. So it's always a smart move to maybe jump on one of those hot hands. And as far as anyone that's paying attention to the playoffs, Jeremy Payne is that. I do have one
0: name here as well, and I actually kind of hope I'm wrong about this one because after everything Jorge Mateo has been through in his career, being a top prospect and just kind of jumping around the league, Oakland A's, Baltimore Orioles, he settled in and he's become a viable MLB and fantasy player, but it just kind of feels like this is the pinnacle right now, and it wouldn't surprise me if you know he's not in the league for much longer. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, he's turned into a solid baseball player, but... Uh, yeah, I, th- I feel like if you're gonna try and sell Jorge Mateo, now is the time to do so, specifically in Dynasty leagues. All right, Welsh. Well, uh, Thanksgiving is coming up. It's just uh, mm-hmm. about a day away, uh, you know, two days away when we're recording this. But uh, what do what you think? It here, you big Thanksgiving guy. What are the plans?
1: Yeah, I'm a pretty big Thanksgiving guy. Um, I have, a, I do have one tradition. And being very careful about talking about it. But if you're familiar with the white Russian, if you're a big Lebowski guy, that is my uh, that is my uh, Thanksgiving tradition where I always do a little white Russian action. Uh, I'm pretty big into the extra pieces. And and this is what I'm fighting for. And people are going to feel crazy about this. What I'm trying to get to happen this year. So I've never been able to convince my wife to do Mac and cheese during Thanksgiving. Cause there's all so much. I know this is crazy talk. There's always so much, It's a little bit of health nut. And she's just like, we got so much we don't need it's Mac and cheese. And I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hit it home that like, listen, it might just be Mac and cheese to you, but Mac and cheese on Thanksgiving. huh? So I'm going to be fighting for some Mac and cheese this year. Give me some mashed potatoes give me some stuffing, give me a white Russian, and it's a happy Thanksgiving. I'm very, very much a fan. What about you?
0: You know, I have never had a white Russian in my life. And Really, but as you saw during AFL weekend, I I like to drink a little bit. I like to. You know.
1: I, I wouldn't have pegged you for a guy to not have a White Russian, to be honest with you. But
0: <laughs> I never had one, so you know what? I think I might join you in that tradition. And, yes, and maybe I'll make myself one. I'm gonna have to watch a few YouTube videos because I do not know how to make a White Russian. So uh, I am interested Easy. to try that out. So we'll uh, we'll get that done. Tradition of mine. I mentioned this to Scott. I watch Just Friends every Thanksgiving night. Great movie. And what a great it's movie just like too. the kickoff of the Christmas season for me. I love it. I, th- I think it's a comedic masterpiece. I absolutely love that movie. And uh, yeah, I'll be watching that once again. Maybe with a white Russian in my hand. Who knows? But I, I, so. I am uh, happy to do so. And just want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to you, Welsh, and to everyone else who's listening and watching and supporting us all year long. Because uh, obviously wouldn't be anything without you supporting us. So we do really appreciate it once again. Happy Thanksgiving to all. We're going to wrap there. For the Welsh, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.